This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good morning, everybody. As I said, my name is, is George. And um, yeah, I just want to, oh, that's a bit loud. I just want to agree with what Sia said as we just, as we came out of worship. Well, this is an extension of worship, but just I really sense that the Father wants to come and reveal His love to us this morning. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into it. Father, we thank You that we can gather together. Thank You that You are here and that You are working in our hearts. Father, and, and we just come, Lord, and we say, come and, come and have Your way in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Father, come and reveal to us what you want to reveal. Come and shift and change what you want to shift and change. Father, we say that we are here for you. We're not just here for a talk um, and, and a presentation and, and, and some songs. But, Father, we're here to, to meet with you. This is why we're here, Lord. So we just give all our devotion and all our affection and all our attention to you right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I mean, also just welcome to everybody that is streaming online. Obviously, this is now a, a, a popular option if you want to sleep in nowadays. Um, but I want to put out a challenge that if you can come to church, rather come to church. Don't stream. <laughs> there's there's some, something different when the saints come together. The psalmist says, I was glad when, when, I, when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Not let us sit in bed and watch a sermon online. Okay, so as I said, I have now transitioned from being a full-time pastor and a part-time dad to being a full-time dad and a part-time pastor, because now my wife looks after one and I look after the other one. So there's a picture, Tosca, if you can throw it on, that's our little baby, the new one, Amy Grace Lawrence, um, and uh, She's really a blessing. She really is a massive blessing to us. Um, she keeps us awake. Those middle-of-the-night prayers are increasing, not decreasing. But um, we're very thankful. Um, I really sense that in this time that God is shifting things in our lives. Who feels maybe in the stage that you are now, things are not like, you're not 100% comfortable with the way that things are at the moment. Like not in a good way or bad way, just, you're just, you know, who feels anxious? Let's be honest, I'm, let's, let's be vulnerable. Who at times feels hopeless when you look at the news, when you look at the world? Who feels maybe far from God? There's no shame in this, right? We're all we all go through seasons like this. I'm not trying to point out who feels that they've done, that they've sinned too much and they can't go to God. There are some hands that are going up. Thank you for that. Thank you for your vulnerability. Who maybe feels that the blessings that you are waiting for and expecting from God are not coming to you, but rather to the people around you. Right? 
This will all make sense in a moment. So, for time's sake, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but we're going to take it um, piece by piece. And it's a, it's a piece that, that you all know really well, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm just going to talk us through the story, um, because I think it's going to take too long to read the 20-odd verses that, that is in it. So, Jesus is addressing or what the scripture says, uh, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. So we're already lining up for something controversial. And the Pharisees are angry about this. They don't understand why are these people coming around Jesus and why is Jesus allowing them to come around him? So he tells three parables. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. And we all know this, the 99, the one. Then he tells the parable of the, the lady that lost the coin. And then he gets to this parable and he says there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a father who has two sons. And the younger, the younger brother or the younger son comes to him and he says, I want my inheritance. I want my, the property that is due my name. And the father says, okay, I'll give it to you. And uh, he gives it to him, and, and a couple of days later, the son says, all right, I'm packing up my stuff. I've got what I wanted. Here I go. And he goes to a faraway country, and he spends everything on reckless living. And he hits rock bottom, and he's, and he, and he, he's spent all his money. He has no more money left, and his luxurious life of reckless living is over, and he has to start working so he's super desperate and he starts working for people in that foreign country and he's looking after pigs. But he's so desperate that he is longing to be fed with the food that the, that the, that the pigs are fed with. And he says, oh man, like I need to make a plan because this is not working out for me. But I know that my, the hired servants in my dad's house live a better life than me. So I'm going to go, I'm going to repent, I'm going to say sorry to my dad, and I'm going to ask, can I work in your house so that I can just have food on my table at night? And he does this, and he goes up, and as he's approaching the house, the father stands up, is filled with compassion, runs to him, dives on him, kisses him, tackles him, and the son says, listen, I messed up big time. And the father says, Bring the best robe, bring the ring, put it on his hand, bring sandals, slaughter the fatted calf. We're going to have a massive braai. We're going to celebrate because my son that was lost has come back. And the celebration starts and the music is playing and people are dancing. And uh, the older son comes and he hears the music and he asks one of the servants, what's this all about? What's all the dancing and the music and why do I smell braai flace? And the servant says, no, 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 your brother that was lost has returned and your father has made a feast for him. And the older brother gets angry and uh, he, he refuses to go in and the father comes out and tries to reason with him. And the older brother just turns and he says, but you never did anything for me. I was here my whole life. I obeyed everything that you said. I was, I, was, I was the best son that you could ever have thought of, and this is how you treat me. And the father says, 
I don't, I don't understand where this is coming from because all the time you were with me and everything that is mine is yours. And the story ends. And Jesus leaves us with a cliffhanger. And we don't know what happens after that. But the people that he was talking to understood what he was saying. They understood there's some cultural nuances. And, and, and what I want to invite you to this morning is to, because most of us have probably heard at least five sermons on this, right? And we've studied it ourselves and we've made notes on this ourselves. And while I really believe that God has worked through those sermons and worked through that quiet time that you put in and praise the Lord if you've worked through this in your quiet time, but what I want you to do is just put that on side and just hear what the Holy Spirit has to say again because this is what I find in my quiet time that when I come to a piece of scripture like this and I say, I know what it's going to say, I tell the Holy Spirit, I don't need your help. But when I come and I say, Holy Spirit, show me, help me, See the Father's heart. Show me what you want to show me in this passage that I'm reading. There's new revelation. doesn't matter how many times I read it. And that's what I'm inviting you to this morning. To listen again with fresh ears to what the Word of God has to say. So there in verse 11 it says, And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Right, So he's claiming or he's asking for his inheritance. And if the father would have passed away, he would have gotten an inheritance. But because he's the younger brother, he would have got one third of all the property. The older brother would have got two thirds of all the property. He gets a double portion because he's the firstborn. So the younger brother says, I want a third of the property. And this is an outrageous claim because he's basically telling the father that I don't want you, I want your stuff. So it's better for me that you are dead and I have the stuff than for me to have a relationship with you. And this is a massive disrespect, right? If I had to tell something like this, if I had to tell my dad, listen, I'd rather take the inheritance than have a relationship with you, like my dad would beat me. <laughs> my, my, my dad would chase me out of the house. But he wouldn't, my dad wouldn't um, be able to stay away for too long because now he has two grandchildren. But it's a massive disrespect and a disgrace to make this request. And probably, the, according to cultural norms, he would have been chased away. He would have been disowned. Said, listen, you're not my son anymore. Like, you don't want me to be your father. You treat me like this. You're cut off from the family. But the father responds in, in the weirdest way. He, he responds counterculturally, and, he say, and, and it says he divided his property between them. So the father gives in to the request. Why? I have no idea. My natural mind thinks this, is, this guy's crazy. This father is crazy. But he gives in. Because in our minds, it's like, okay, you know, he, he gives in, makes an EFT, logs onto NetBank. Does the EFT? No, no, no. Like, it's not how it worked. Everything that he had was property or cattle or things like that. He didn't have cash. 
So this father actually says, listen here, I'm willing to sell off a third of my estate to give you what you want. And that makes the request, or the giving into the request, even more strange. So it's not a simple transaction that the father has to do. Then in verse 13, it says, not many days later, so the younger brother doesn't really wait very long, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property on reckless living. Now, if I had to make this request, right, let's just, let's go with the story and say, okay, God, oh, Father, give me my inheritance, and the father gives in for some other reason, and we get the inheritance. I'm thinking, okay, this guy got what he wanted. He's probably thinking, wow, I scored. I got the jackpot. I have cash. Cash flow is good. I'm, I'm going to live it up. And I would think, okay, like, invest the money. Buy a property. Buy some cattle. Get myself a wife. Settle down. Start my life off good, right? But this guy goes, he disrespects his father by asking for this, basically saying, listen, I don't want relationship with you, I just want your stuff. And instead of using the money wisely, he goes and wastes it, literally. He wastes it because of his selfishness. He says, I'm going to live like I want to live on my own terms, I don't care. So this whole exercise was a waste of time and a waste of money for everybody involved. Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't understand what was going through this guy's mind. But it says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose. So this guy didn't do good planning. He thought the good times are going to last forever. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So this guy, he's living it up. He's living his best life now. And um, all of a sudden, all the money is gone. All the resources are gone. And he has to go and find work. And the only work that he can find is to feed pigs. And for a Jewish man, that's very unacceptable. Because it's an unclean, a dirty animal for them. But this, this is what this guy has to do. But he's so desperate that even though he has a job, he's still so hungry that he wants to be fed with the foods that, food that the pigs eat. But no one gives him anything. So this guy is really on rock bottom. Right? He's down and out. And, and as it happens to us, if we're down and out and hit rock bottom, we reach a point of desperation. And I think for God, a point of desperation is a great place. Because it's where we start to say, I cannot do this myself. I need help. And then I love this where it says, but he came to himself. He said, how many, is it over there? It is there. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this guy makes the first step in the right direction. He realizes and confesses that he made a big mistake. He, he confesses that he was stupid, right? He made the mistake of his life. Second step that he makes is he realizes that there needs to be repentance because he sinned towards heaven and before his father. And there's true repentance. It's not just like an um, entitlement to say, oh, you know what, things didn't work out lacquer for me, so I'm going to go to my dad's house and I'm just going to live off the trust fund again. He says, no, 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 no. Like, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is the, the conversation that he's having with himself. He says, I've messed up so bad that I'm not, willing to be, I'm not worthy to be called a son in my father's house. So there's a radical heart change where he wanted to write off his dad and say, okay, listen, I don't want anything to do with you. He realizes, but wait a minute, I actually had a pretty good life under my father's house. But he knows that the scandal is too great. He knows that, that, this, that the community all saw and heard about this scandal that the younger brother wanted his inheritance and left with it. Probably stories and rumors would have come back that he's been wasting it on reckless living, maybe drinking, maybe prostitutes. I don't know what, what reckless living meant for them. But he, he understands that the scandal is too big for him to just waltz back and say, listen, Dad, I want to be, be your son again. Let me into your house. So he says, no, 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 no. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But what I'll do is I'm going to hire myself to you, not so that I can get an income, but so that I can pay off my debt. Because in the cultural setting, that's what would have happened. So he would have went back. And he would have known he, he, he won't be living in the father's house. He'll probably have to find other accommodation. He, um, and he would just come in every day to work. And his salary or wages, whatever he would have been paid, would have been paying off that third of the inheritance that he got. So he understands this and he knows this and he's like, but even this situation is better than what I am in now. And he says, right. I'm going to do this. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Right, so I can, I can just imagine what this guy's going through. Like, he's in the bottom, he's rock bottom, lowest of lows, and he's like, I've got a plan. I've got a plan that's going to get me out of this. But I'm going to have to do this right. Okay? Like, when I get to my dad, I'm going to have to have anticipated and prepared for the worst case scenario. So I can just imagine him walking home from this far country, going through the speech that he's rehearsed time after time, angles, different angles. I mean, like, the, the closest thing that I probably have to this is when I had to drive to my parents-in-law to ask for my wife's hand in marriage. Because they live in Bredasdorp, so it's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. And I remember that even just a phone call to say, Tani, can I come and speak to you about my Nareen's future was nerve-wracking for me. Never mind the actual deed. So I remember as I was driving on the road to the farm, two and a half hours, 
Firstly, I just had to remember where the farm was because I'd only been there a couple of times. So that was my first concern. The second one was, okay, how am I going to start this conversation? Do I, do, I, do I rock up and I just make small talk um, until they ask me, okay, why are you really here? Do I just start off and say, listen, I want to marry your daughter and then just get it over and done with? How do I do this? Right? So I was going through a little bit of uh, a, a, a panic. And I can imagine what, this, what the youngest son must have been going through. I've been disowned. I've been cut off from the family. And now I'm going back to my father. I need to do this right. Worst case scenario, dad comes out with a whip chasing me. Sends servants out with rocks to stone me. I don't know what the worst case scenario would have been. But I think it would have been quite wild. And as he comes, the tension starts building because he sees the house and he's walking and I think those knees would have been shaking, thinking, how is this going to turn out for me? And instead of the worst case scenario, something from his wildest dreams that wouldn't even been in his wildest dreams happen, the father comes running out. Something that a, a, a patriarch of the family would have never done lifts up his robe and runs out to his son, dive tackles him and kisses him. And the son is blown away. And the father says, uh, and, and the son starts and he says, listen, I have sinned. In, in, uh, I've sinned against heaven and before you forgive me, I want to be your hired servant. And the dad like, kind of just ignores his whole speech that he's been practicing on this whole journey and says, bring the best robe Put a ring on his finger. Bring sandals. Slaughter the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate because my son that was lost is now found. And immediately that, that robe that he, that he calls for, the best robe in the house would be the father's robe, the patriarch's robe. And he immediately he says, it's not this debate of, okay, if you work enough, you can be a son again. Or It's immediately he says, no, 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 no you've come back. I've been waiting for you to come back. There's an expectation from the father. And he says, you are now part of the family again. Leave your hired servant story. You're my son. And they throw a big party. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what? these things meant. And the older brother doesn't really know what's going on because he would have probably been like a co-owner, right? Like, so my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, they farm together and, you know, they know what's going on in the farm. If one's going away for the weekend, they know about it. If there needs to be babysitting that's organized, they know about it. If one of the workers is going to take the tractor to town, they know about it. They know about the affairs that are happening. If someone's going to have a birthday party or, some, or a braai, they know about it because they're working together. But the son doesn't know of this party. And he comes and he hears the music and the dancing. And he's probably wondering, what, what's happening here? What's, what's all the festivities about? This seems like a, like a good idea, but what, what's this all about? And the servant says to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. 
And I think this is the point where we start to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be lost? Because when it comes to the, to the younger brother, it's easy to see how lost he is. It's obvious how lost he is. I mean, he's taken his stuff and he's ran. And he's ended up on rock bottom. And he's in desperate need and he's just lost. We don't see it so easily with the, with the older brother. It's a, it's a more subtle type of lostness but a very dangerous one. And Jesus is um, trying to show us that there's two types of lostness, not only one. And he says his father came out and entreated him. So because the, the father is the patriarch, because he is the, the husband, the father of the house, he doesn't go to anybody. It's just a cultural thing, right? So, for all the people that are on the liberal side of things and get a shiver down their spine when I say the word patriarchy, don't think of what is on your mind. Take yourself to Middle Eastern Jewish culture. So the patriarch doesn't go to the children or to, they come to him. So this is what would have been expected, that if the older brother has an issue with the decision of the father to do this, it would be expected that the older brother must come, must come to him. But he says, but the older brother says, listen, I'm not going in. I'm too angry. I'm not, I'm not going to talk to my dad. And then the father does something again, counterculturally. And he comes out to the older brother to entreat him. And the brother answers, so it's this thing, he's probably telling him, listen, your, son, your, your, your brother was lost. My son was lost and he's found. Come in and celebrate with us. Like this is a great thing that has happened. This is, not, this is not bad. Like I know you're worried about your reputation. I know you're worried about what the people will think. But don't, don't. This is, this is good news for us. And his answer to this entreatment is not, Father, with all due respect, I want to disagree. He says, look. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And Jesus, here in telling this, this part of the story, is saying that sin is not just breaking a list of rules, but sin is also abiding by every rule so that you can be God and be in control. To say that I don't need God. It's called self-righteousness. Older brothers believe that because they live a good life, they deserve a good life. They believe that the father owes them a smooth road if they try hard and live up to the standards that are expected of them. And we see this come out in the older brother when he says, I've served you all these years. I never disobeyed you. But you didn't give me what I deserved. I didn't get what I wanted. And when things don't go according to the plan of the older brother, they blame and they resent the father because he didn't meet up to his part. And in that statement, the older brother reveals his heart and he, he basically says the same as the younger brother. And he says, I didn't do any of this for you. I did it for me. 
I didn't serve you and obey you and be diligent in my work because I love you and because I want to be with you. But it's because I wanted your inheritance. At the end of the day, I wanted to earn it. And you will know that you are an older brother type when your good works lead to superiority. When you say, because I did this and this and this, I am better than those people. At least I don't do that type of sin. At least I don't live in this type of way. It's the older brother mentality. A story from ancient writings um, that aren't part of the biblical canon. It's called the Apocrypha. Um, whether it's a true story or not, I don't, I'm not, I don't really care. Um, but it, it explains the, the principle really well. So in the Apocrypha, um, the, one of the books, the, the, the writer writes that Jesus and his disciples were on a journey. And Jesus and his disciples were on a journey. And uh, he, they, sorry, I just lost there. They were on a journey. And Jesus asks them to do something for him. To, to pick up a stone and follow, follow me. This is what Jesus says. Pick up a stone and follow me. Would you do something for me? Pick up a stone and follow me. So Peter, thinking, okay, I'm going to be as efficient as I can, picks up the smallest stone, puts it in his pocket, and follows Jesus. They get to their destination at the end of the night or at the end of the day, and uh, Jesus says, okay, take out your stones, and the stones turn to bread, and this is their dinner. And Peter is not very happy to say the least. The next day they wake up and Jesus says, will you do something for me? Pick up a stone and follow me. And Peter says, hey, I got it now. And he picks up the biggest stone that he can carry and he's laboring behind everybody, struggling just to get to the end of the journey. And at the end of the journey, Jesus says, take out your rocks and throw them into the sea. And Peter is thinking, I thought I had it. And Jesus discerns his heart and says, did I not ask you to do this for me, not for you? It's the heart of the older brother. Older brothers compare themselves and struggle to receive the father's love outside of their performance of spiritual achievements. So there's a condition to the Father's love of saying that if I have my quiet time, if I do this and this and this, the Father loves me more. And this is not true. I'm going to skip through quite a bit of it. But I've been asking myself this question, and it relates back to, to, to what, we, um, what we read now, what we discussed now, is why, why do I love God? And I want you, want us all to ask ourselves this question is, why do, you, why do I love God? Not why does God love me, but why do I love God? And go through the routine of giving the right answer. 
He died for me, paid for my sins. Da, 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 da. Give the right answer. And then you put that aside and then you dig deep in your heart and you ask yourself really why you love God. And you, and you reflect back on the story of your life. And you, you look at where God saved you from and where he's brought you to. And you ask yourself this question, why do I love God? Because I think if we answer this question, we will, we will see clearly what Jesus wants us to see here. Because there's, there's two characters that we didn't focus on too much. The one is the older brother, the true older brother. And the true older brother ends up being Jesus. That when the younger brother goes out to, to spend his life on reckless living, he doesn't just stay at home and say, listen, I'm comfortable here. He comes and he crosses eternity to seek and save the lost. That on the cross or in that time going to the cross, his robe was torn and shared between the people so that we could receive a robe of identity. All this while we were spending our lives on reckless living. He was the one who became outcasted and rejected so that we could be accepted in Jesus. And instead of taking, instead of saying, Father, they chose their lot. I'm fine up here. He gave everything. He gave everything for us. So that we would have life in Jesus Christ. The second person that we didn't really focus on was the father. We mentioned the father, but there's this, you know, we can so focus on, on the younger brother and the older brother that we miss what Jesus is saying here. Because if we look at the father's response to both brothers, it is not what it should have been. He didn't give them what they actually deserved to be cut off, to be cast out, to be punished, to be rejected. But he, but he invited them in. When the, when the younger brother came back, he said, let's have a feast for my son that was lost is now found. He was dead, but now he's alive. To the older brother who said, listen, I want no part in this decision that you've made because you're making the wrong decision. And you know what? This inheritance that was mine, you're wasting it again on this younger son of yours. He says, come into the feast. Come in and eat with me. The God that we serve is the God of feasts. He invites us in to eat with him, to be with him. In Revelation 21 and 22, he talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. The day at the end of time when there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, no more crying. Everything will just be perfect and there's going to be a massive feast where we come together and we celebrate the love of God. Jesus is also saying to us today that it doesn't matter where on the spectrum you are this morning. 
If you're the younger brother that has just decided to leave or is at rock bottom or is desperate or has come back, or you're the older brother that is stubborn and self-righteous and prideful, he doesn't care. His word this morning is he says, come and feast with me. Come and feast with me. Come and eat with me. Because my love is not determined by your good or your bad deeds. My love is determined by what I paid for you on the cross. We're going to take communion this morning. And we're going to celebrate in a feast. It's a small feast. A little piece of cracker bread and, and, and juice. But it has so much significance. Because Jesus feasted with his disciples and he said, remember this. My blood that was shed for the atonement of your sins so that you can be forgiven and your unrighteousness can be washed away. My body was broken as a sacrifice for all. I was the older brother that should have went after the younger brother. And through that, the father says, come and eat with me. So it doesn't matter where you are today. This is the good news it doesn't matter where you're at today, how far you feel from God, how anxious you feel, how hopeless you feel. There's an invitation this morning to come in and find hope and find peace and find joy at the feast. Maybe that means this morning that there is sin in your life. As we were talking, as we were, as we were discussing now, as the scriptures were being read, there's things that you were convicted of. Maybe there was confirmation of things that God has been doing in your heart as we were speaking. Maybe this means that we need to repent. Maybe this means that we just need to remember again what Jesus has done for us. But that we respond to this invitation this morning. So I'm going to ask us to stand. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.